0: Hey everyone, welcome to SHIFT, or welcome back if this isn't your first time here. SHIFT is a daily podcast where the thoughts and insights presented center around shifting expectations and being in a constant state of growth. I'm excited that you're here. Hopefully you'll find value in the content presented, and if so, I hope you'll visit the website togetherweshift.com and check out some of the other resources available. Now let's get into it. Hey, everyone, I'm really excited for you to hear this conversation with me and my guest today, Johnny Joy. Johnny's an amazing guy. He's got an amazing story, and I'm super grateful that he took the time to join me today. You're going to notice about halfway through that the camera completely changes. Uh, I'm new to this. We're figuring stuff out, and we had some technical difficulties in the middle of it, and I lost my camera. It just went dead, so I had to make up a quick switch. So I apologize for that. If you're listening, you're not going to see it. Not a big deal. And if you're watching this, this is why your TV's not broke, your phone's not broke. The color changes because I switched cameras and we just don't have the same color balance on the other one. So, thanks for watching. Enjoy this episode. All right. So, welcome to Shift. This is the podcast where we talk about radical accountability, Mm -hmm. we talk about vulnerability, what that looks like in today's world. And how we can show up as better men, better husbands, better fathers, better humans, because honestly, this isn't really a male issue. This is a human issue. So with me today is a good friend of mine and someone that I'm really excited for you guys to hear from. And his name is Johnny Joy. He is a radio DJ with Mountain Country with all sorts of call letters. so I'll let you I'll let you share that out there. But one of the one of the top rated radio stations in the country, and he is a recovering alcoholic. I believe I don't know. I never know what the right terminology is these days. <laughs>
1: There's no let's terminology. just
0: let's just say Johnny made some mistakes and when he was when he was younger.
1: and <laughs>
0: uh, one of the things that's really awesome about Johnny is that he is super vulnerable and open and transparent about his journey. And he actually spends a lot of his time now helping others in recovery, helping others find a pathway to recovery. And I, for one, also have been sober for 18 years now. And so he and I are kindred spirits in a lot of ways. And I'm just waiting for him to have seven more kids to catch up. And, uh, you know, that should, you know, another 10 or 15 years, you should be okay.
1: Yeah, I'll be 60, (laughs) man.
0: (laughs) I will be 60 when my youngest is 18. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah, I've done that math. So, Johnny, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for taking the time today to share with us. Thank you for building a studio in your house so that we could do this thing.
1: Just for you, that's Just it. for me. <laughs> Just for you. <laughs> awesome. Oh man, thank you, it's a, it's a thrill to be here. And yeah, recover, I, recovering alcoholic, I, I don't feel like I'm continually recovering. I think I'm continually growing, um, but I think I have recovered from alcoholism. Um, I, I treat it like anyone would maybe treat cancer, um you know like i'm not being treated for cancer i was treated for it um but i'm always on the alert they could come back at any time if i let my guard down so uh that being said yeah i just celebrated seven years uh 18 years man 18 years that's including nights
0: and weekends including nights and weekends dang (laughs) that's
1: that's impressive
0: (laughs) that's
1: it yeah man it was uh it, it was more out of absolute necessity than anything else it had uh very little to do with uh you know everyone's like oh congratulations that's so difficult and I'm like no it's not I mean in comparison to how I was living this is this is easy this is cake I get to he- sit here and do podcasts and I get to host uh you know number one country station in the city for the morning show I've got a beautiful wife I've got a amazing home I've got my dream car and the the crowning jewel of all of it is my little daughter uh 18 months old no 20 months today
0: 20 months today
1: you're See, almost i said i wasn't gonna months. do the yeah i wasn't gonna do past 18 months <laughs> but now when people are like how old i'm like almost two and they're like oh like this week and i'm like no like if you just okay fine just 20 months
0: yeah it's such a crazy thing the way we the way, the way we math our children yeah um, but yeah i get it so you've been sober seven years Seven years. This month, if I remember correctly, you just celebrated seven.
1: Yeah, two days before St. Patty's Day.
0: Awesome. Yeah, and so and St.
1: Patty's Day in in detox, which was probably the best idea.
0: <laughs> it, it, you know what's funny is when I quit drinking, mine was very similar uh, to your situation, um, and they're all very personal and very different. And there's underlying truths in in I think everybody's you know path to sobriety for me, it was also a necessity in the sense that I was at the precipice of losing my wife and and my children at the time, which there were only two. Um, But it was stop or lose everything. Yeah. And and so, you know, I'd love to talk a little bit more about where you were at, what was happening for you, what your what's your lifestyle look, because you said, like, it's pretty easy, right? Like, What you live now compared to what you lived then, you can see how, you know, like, this is so much better. But someone listening to this that's maybe still struggling is probably thinking you're full of shit. And and so I would love for you to kind of just dive into that a little bit because I agree with you. It's easy. You just make the choice. Right. The hard part is whether it's six hours or six days after you make the choice, all those triggers that caused you to drink in the first place. Yeah. Like you and I have talked about this, you know, it's that thing between your ears. It's got nothing to do with the rest of the outside world. Right. That's still there.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 And I mean, and for me, it was uh mine was a gradual progression. You know, I mean, you could spend all the time you want in AA meeting rooms and, and, uh, you know, rehab and, and you'll hear every story from, you know, first time I tried to sip a beer when I was seven years old, I was hooked to someone that, you know, whereas, like, for me, it was until my mid-20s where things really started to escalate. You know, I wasn't a drinker in high school, um, but mine was trauma-based. It was absolute trauma-based. Now, looking forward or looking back, you know, instead of trying to look forward, I can understand that. It's like Steve Jobs says, you can't connect the dots looking forward, only back. And uh, and now, when I look back, it was absolute trauma. I was... I was in the restaurant scene since I was 18 years old, probably. Well, 16, technically. I got my first job as a dishwasher, and I wasn't even a dishwasher. I was the associate dishwasher, which now, in hindsight, I realize is, in fact, the lowest rung on the food service ladder is to be the assistant dishwasher.
0: <laughs> where where were you working that they had an associate dishwasher?
1: Uh, Panino's on 8th Street here in Colorado Springs. Because I too spent a, a very
0: long time in the hospitality industry. Yeah. But see, I wasn't anywhere fancy like that. Like, none of the places I worked had like the crumb catchers on the table or like the little. Uh, I didn't,
1: we didn't have that here. This is, yeah.
0: But I've never heard of being the assistant to the assistant of the dishwashers.
1: Yes. The hydrothermic porcelain care technician. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, as it turns out, the gentleman that was my, uh, was my mentor in the washing arts ended up getting fired six months later for uh, sexually assaulting a prime rib
0: <laughs> Yes. and this ladies and gentlemen, is what life is like in the restaurant industry
1: yes, if you so, think that those stories don't happen, I assure you they do anyway
0: they
1: um, do yeah so i I, I stayed in restaurants for a long time um, I moved up to uh boulder well i I spent my 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 formal uh, high school years like junior high, high school district 12 Cheyenne Mountain here in Colorado Springs. Went to Pikes Peak Community College for uh, for my first semester and then moved up to Fort Collins to Colorado State where I uh, completed my associate's degree in art history. I then uh, moved to Boulder for a summer. Um, that summer lasted approximately five years. I remember <laughs> at least a year and a half and as I recall it was a pretty good time. You know, and I was doing all the dumb things that a 21 year old in Boulder does nothing, uh, you know, that you probably haven't heard of or anything that would terribly shock or dismay anybody, you know, I I mean, it was it was just dumb kid stuff got my first DUI standard procedure stuff. And, uh, and when I was, uh, I I was was dating a girl i had been with her for at that point about four years and I remember, we were at a restaurant called rock bottom. And I'm sure there's a number of people that heard of Rock Bottom Restaurant. The name is very ironic after you hear this, this story because uh, I get a call. This was um, August 11th of 2002. I get a call. And it's from my aunt. And she lived in Denver at the time. And we're at Rock Bottom. And, uh, and she says, hey, Johnny, you need to get down to the Springs. I said, okay, what's up? She said, you just need to get down here real fast. And I said, okay, what's up? She said, it's Julie my sister, my only sibling. And I said, what's going on? You need to get down here. I said, is she alive? She said, you just need to get down here. And I don't really remember the drive. Um, I, I know I was going fast. And I got to Penrose Hospital, Penrose, Maine downtown and rushed into the ICU. And there I see my sister, my only sibling. She was four years older than me with uh, hoses and tubes coming out of everything. And a color of gray that I've never seen on a human being. Um, you know, and uh, as it turns out, she uh, my sister was a teacher. she had her master's degree in psych, she was incredibly intelligent, uh, but she too, had suffered trauma at the hands of my father, you know, abandonment. Uh, she was abandoned when she was about thirteen years old. Thirteen years old for a young a young woman is tragic. You know, my mom my mom did did everything she could for the both of us. But she was engaged and divorced or engaged and broke up with five different guys, five different times. And she liked pills because she, again, had the problem between her ears. And uh, this time she had taken what's called a Duragesic patch, which is fentanyl, um, in the style of like a nicotine patch. And she put one on her thigh and one on her other thigh. She's trying to get really, really high. Didn't understand the strength of fentanyl. This is 2002. Um, And she passed out on her back uh, and was without oxygen for about 45 minutes. Wow. So she was at Penrose Hospital for four days before my mom and I had to make the call um, to take her off life support, you know, and watch my sister die in front of me. So looking back, that started this thing because I didn't, I didn't know what grieving was. All, all I knew was like, I mean, it didn't really even hit me till six months later, man. Like, honestly, yeah, I was too busy taking care of my mom and just trying to navigate this new world. But I was, I, I knew I, I started drinking more. And I started doing some more drugs. I moved back down to Colorado Springs. because I knew I needed to be near my mom. That much I did now. Yeah. Um, nine months later, uh, I was back up in Denver visiting a friend. And we went to Rock Bottom. Nine months to the day. And my phone rings. This time it's my mom. She wow. says, yeah, she says, you need to get to Lutheran as fast as you can. I said, are you kidding me? I said, what's, what's wrong? She said, it's Sean. It's your cousin the other person I grew up with, I said, what happened? She had an overdose and she had her master's in biochemical engineering, smart, smart woman overdosed on painkillers. Wow. And was without oxygen for about 45 minutes. And for four days we sat in the ICU at Lutheran and her mom, my aunt had to make the decision to pull the plug. And I watched my cousin die in front of me. Unbelievable. So at this point, everything is, is just doing this inside my head, but I've always been a people pleaser. That's what I am. That's, that's who I've always been. So I can't deal with what's going on inside of me. I have to take care of everybody else and just keep on this happy Johnny face. Um, and it wasn't working because the bigger the wound got, the more I tried to medicate it, you know, the, the, the worse, the trauma got the, the harder I tried to make it quiet down. Um, all during this time, I was trying to trying to finally figure out an answers to why I'd been abandoned by my father, why there just wasn't that relationship there, why you know he wanted his stepkids and not his his son and his daughter, and uh, I never got to say the things I, I wanted to say and I, all the things I I needed to say. Um, and then on September fifth, two thousand four, I get a phone call. I get a voicemail from my stepmother. She says, "Hey, your dad died this morning. I thought you'd like to know." Wow. Yeah. And, and so that again, in hindsight, looking back, I can say that that's when it all really began.
0: So you and I have talked about this and I have a, I have a idea or a belief or a thought or a theory. I have a theory that most addiction isn't what we typically call addiction. I think people are dependent, 100% dependent on drugs, alcohol, sex, food, whatever whatever they claim their addiction is. But I think the addiction is actually to running. And what you just described is a, is, is a very analogous to that. You had all these traumas in your life that are, that are very real and very traumatic and very challenging. And what it sounds like is that you didn't have coping mechanisms or tools to, in a healthy way, figure out how to express yourself, how to grieve properly, how to manage that grief. And so in, instead of that alcohol became the numbing agent and, and after time you became dependent on that. Yeah. So do you agree with that? Do you think that that's.
1: Oh, 100%. 100%. Because again, you know uh, what, my crush was, was, was alcohol. But like you said, people use sex or gambling or food or shopping or, or whatever it might be, because again, it wasn't what was in the, the bottle. That's not, that's not what it was. That was a means to an end. It was to quiet this mess in here. And because I didn't know things about that because, and also in 2002, three, four, this kind of platform wasn't available, you know, where I could just grab my phone and text a buddy, you know, like that wasn't a thing. Yeah, it
0: really wasn't. I mean, you know, to the, what iPhones came out in 2009. So if yeah. you weren't, if you weren't, you know, an executive somewhere with a, with a BlackBerry or a, there was, we used to have, I think my first PDA was a trio, right. Or the Treo from yeah. singular wireless, yeah. um, you know, taking it, taking it way back. Right. But yeah. we didn't have podcasts didn't exist. YouTube wasn't a thing. Right. And, and the, at that time, cause I got sober in 2003 but for me, I had a family, I had kids, I was, and I was in the same position. I was running from trauma. Yeah. I, my, my birth mother died when I was three. My father was physically abusive. My stepmother was emotionally abusive. So for me, it was not dealing with all the stuff that I had to deal with because I didn't have tools. And alcohol was a, a great you know numbing agent for that. And I never got into drugs. I was told as a child that my mother committed suicide uh, because she was a drug addict. And I found out in my twenties that she was murdered and that it wasn't a suicide. Um, And, and that's, that's a story for another time, but I grew up under this cloud of not knowing why my mother passed or why I wasn't good enough or why all these things that I just, and I just had no way to deal with it. And, and then I lived with my dad and my stepmom who were, who were, ill-equipped for the, the child that I was. So I think, and, and my story is not unique, right? I can talk about it very openly because there's no hurt there anymore. Like I've, I've resolved it. I've healed it in yeah. many ways. There's still things that come up and I'm like, Oh, Hey there. I thought you were, I thought we were done <laughs> and, and we get to have a conversation. And then yeah. Right. But yeah. there's so many people that are dealing with similar stories, you know, and, and I, I'm curious if you wouldn't mind sharing what, like, was there a point for you during, you know, cause so we're talking 2004 ish when, when you kind of went off the rails yeah, and, and, and you've been sober seven years. So I suck at the math, but you know, about 13 ish, you got sober. So yeah, for 11 years, you were hitting it pretty hard to a point where you, you were very chemically dependent on, on um. substances. Was there a point for you in that journey where you knew and you were like, I'm an alcoholic, I'm dependent? Because for me, I was like, when I quit drinking, I quit drinking and I was a bartender. Yeah. And I wow. went back to work the next day and I worked behind the bar. I never had the shakes. I never wanted to drink. I never felt, you know, it was just for me when I would go drink, I would drink till I blacked out. Right. But I didn't drink every day, and I didn't need it. It was a I, I was escaping from in, in other ways, right? So I'm yeah. curious what that was like for you. No, like were you able to go? I know this, or were you were you in a really long stage of denial, or what? what like what does that? Oh, like? that was
1: a long a long stage of denial, and, uh, and boy, you missed quite an adventure. Um, <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it's quite the thing um, because that's the thing is when people say is alcoholism a disease. You know, if, if you're talking about the emotional piece, again, another conversation, we might get to it here, we might not, I don't know. But physically, true alcoholism is absolutely a disease. Luckily, it's curable, um, but it's dangerous, because it almost killed me five separate times. Um, you know, there, there was, it's it's interesting, though, Keith, that you asked that, because I, I look back now, and I, I say, I can't believe I did that and thought it seemed like a normal, sane, natural idea, i.e. I was out of booze, but I was shaking so bad in the morning from DTs that I thought, well, I better just drink that Listerine because that'll calm the hands down enough for me to get to the liquor store. You know, and
0: that didn't um, seem like a problem then. Yeah,
1: no, and that's that's what's so so crazy. But that was at the at the end. I mean, this wasn't something that I kept up for eleven years. I mean, it it ramped up, probably really got bad about two thousand nine. Um, you know, I I actually I was married um, previously, and it, it was very short lived. I can't say I necessarily blame her. I was uh, I wouldn't have necessarily been wanting to be married to me either. Um, we all have our faults, but I'm not here to pick on her. Um, sure. But I remember we, we took a trip to uh, to D.C. Because here's another funny thing is you take someone with a, with a major drinking problem and a lot of unresolved trauma. And then on my 30th birthday, I was given my inheritance from my grandmother, which was about $550,000. Oh, wow. So... You know, number of times you hear people say oh if i just had money i wouldn't drink i'm like bullshit
0: yeah no that's, <laughs> that's i promise I mean, that's you a... you will
1: and then you do things like let's go to dc for the weekend let's that go a and recipe for, for the
0: disaster weekend. my friend <laughs>
1: yeah it actually was and wow. I, I remember i'll never forget every time i see a picture of the lincoln memorial i remember i i couldn't divulge this to my ex at the time but i was in such bad DTs because I hadn't drank that morning. I couldn't barely walk down the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. And everyone thought I was having a stroke because I was holding on to the rail. Wow. You know, and we got to the hotel and I remember just having to like, I couldn't even pick up my drink because I, so I had to do it like that. And then the next morning I remember having to tr- talk to the bar manager down to the hotel lobby and convince him to sell me a bottle of wine that I could open up in the bathroom of the lobby and chug the entire bottle of wine just to
0: function. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, so so yes, it's, uh, did I ever, I no, I didn't really realize it until I finally decided to make the decision to get sober, because all the previous times, all the other rehabs, which were four rehabs, three times in county detox, um, you know, over $200,000 in rehab costs, I was getting sober for everybody else. I was doing yeah. it for either my ex or my mom, or because people thought I should, but when I closed my eyes night, I was still just me and my brain and it was yeah. an ugly neighborhood to be in. And, uh, and on that last time, and it was, uh, March 13th. Um, when I decided to go on March 15th, 2014, when I finally got sober, I was laying in a hospital bed up at, up in Denver. And I knew that I was getting ready. Like I, I told my mom, I said, I'm going to die. You're going to bury your second kid. You're only other child. Wow. If I don't do this. And I was laying in bed in the hospital bed, staring up at the ceiling. I had a BAC of 0.54, wow. which, yeah, pretty, what, pretty serious. Four
0: times, four times dangerous? Five office? times.
1: Yeah. 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 Uh, Amy Winehouse died with a 0.41, and I was at 0.54, so. Um, and I remember as loud as you and I are talking right near now, I heard a voice say, it's done. Right. It's done. It's done. It's done now. Not another minute, not another second, not another day. It's done now. I said, okay, I'm ready to go. And I checked into West Pine up in Denver, which is a a detox place. I was also taking a lot of Benzos at the time, like Xanax. So Xanax, about eight bottles of wine a day, um, four Xanax a day plus a 12 pack of beer was what I had to do to stay level. Um, And that was without a doubt the hardest four days of my life emotionally and physically. I've got a note still next to my bed upstairs. It says, I uh, keep it in just a little thing, just in case I suddenly have a, a little glimpse of like, you know what? I think I'm okay. And it just says, remember how bad you felt when you wrote this and you wow. can barely read it because it's just, I mean, throwing up blood, the whole deal. Um, and uh, And then I, Right when I got out and, and I got the alcohol out of my system and the seizures were done. I'd been hospitalized for a grand mal seizure previously. I mean, my organs were failing. It was, it was a damn mess. I mean, I escaped out of Penrose Hospital by ripping IVs out of my arm, running down the stairwell. I mean, the things that we go to when this is still all twisted. And uh, and this time when I was finally done, I said, okay, I can't figure this out on my own. And yeah. something not of my own hand saved me that says, I'm trying to quit and he's not willing to fire me. So I got to figure some shit out. <laughs> and that's yeah. when I said, it's time to find counseling.
0: That's, that's awesome. I yeah. I mean, that, cause that begs the question when you're at that point in your life where you're consuming, I mean, most people can't drink eight glasses of water a day, let alone eight bottles of wine a day. Like yeah. I just yeah. did the, I just did the 75 heart challenge over the, over the fall. And then you had to drink a gallon of water a of day.
1: Yeah. I mean, like, that
0: was easy for me. But my wife did it with me, and probably three days into it, she was like, "I can't. This is driving me crazy. It's too much." I'm drowning here. <laughs> so literally, you're right. So like, just just hearing you say you would consume that much, mm-hmm. um, I mean, one of the things that comes to my mind is like you had to have been within fifty feet of a bathroom at all times, and like the expense of that, even on the cheap stuff. Oh yeah, is is got to be something that that. Was tricky. Well, that's about, I know from... I was,
1: yeah, that's what's. I was pulling this up right now as we were talking. I've got this app, and it's not something I check in every day. On um only when like milestones are coming up. I, I'm a numbers guy, somewhat. Like where like there's cool. I'm not a math guy. I like numbers. I don't. Like
0: um, <laughs> yeah, I don't do math, but I like. Data. <laughs> but yeah.
1: So today would be two thousand five hundred and seventy three days sober, and you kind of plug in how many drinks you were having a day, and so far in you know, uh, just a little over seven years, 76,290 drinks, not had. Wow. 6,000 and money saved $415,650. Wow. Yeah. Now there's this one picture I want to show and hopefully the camera can grab it. This is, I woke up one morning like this and I went to bed alone. I don't know what happened. I'll never fully know what happened. Um, but I woke up and my face was really sore, and there was blood on the pillow, and I couldn't quite figure it out. There was a broken glass in the living room, and I had a, a wraparound bar in my living room because why? Why not? Why not? Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I looked in the mirror, and this is the day. I this is three days later when I checked into rehab. Now the dark colors you're going to see here are not shadows. It's bruising.
0: Wow. Yeah, that shows up. Yeah, that shows up.
1: And so, yeah, I've got a plastic plate under this eye. Uh, I fractured my eye socket in three places. I fractured my cheek, my jaw. And the very first place I went, when I looked in the mirror, I went to the liquor store. And ironically, I lived uh, about two blocks away from Cheers, uh, the liquor store, where everyone knew my name. (laughs) I bet. Yeah. And I mean, I would take exact change in there so I wouldn't have to hold my card. I knew it was exactly 2201 for my box of wine. You know, right. I had it all planned out And I walked in and they go, Jesus, Johnny What happened to you? Oh, I slipped and fell at work Right on the cutting board I didn't have a job <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy, man
0: So what? Man, so I want to get into like what Recovery looked like for you Yeah Because this is the type of dependency Most people don't come away from Right And And at the same time you know, this, this conversation in this podcast is really all about radical accountability. And so you've definitely oh, yeah. taken accountability for yourself. You've definitely been in a vulnerable, vulnerable space to share your story and to take ownership of your stuff. Yeah. But as you're talking, I'm curious about your thoughts on what role the people who worked at Cheers the people who worked at the places you went and drank, like they had to have known that there was a problem because I was a bartender and I was a bartender when I drank, I was a bartender when I got sober and I actually quit bartending intentionally because I, I leaned into not AA or any other sort of rehab. I leaned into Buddhism and Eastern philosophy to get sober, to really start to look at suffering and how to deal with my own personal problems and things of that nature And one of the part of the eightfold path is right work. And so for me, and I don't mean that bartenders aren't are are bad people or anything like that. So I I don't want to, you know, you you can get off the keyboard. I'm just saying (laughs) for me personally, at that time in my life, I felt like I was enabling other people to not take responsibility for their stuff. And so I felt like I could do a different job. And so I quit bartending. And I don't I have other friends who bartend and I don't look at them and go, oh my gosh, you're you're horrible. You're, you know, right. because my dad has asked me many times, if I was gonna open a business, what would it be? And I've always said a bar or a liquor store. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because
0: no matter what, bars and liquor stores are making money. If things are great things
1: are bad, they're great. When things are good, they're great.
0: Yeah. When things are bad, I gotta have a place to go numb my whatever. And when things are good, I gotta have a place to go celebrate. Right. So, so if if I was able to just put my money somewhere and not worry about where it came from that's the best business model ever because it's always yeah. going to have as we've seen during this pandemic when liquor stores are deemed essential for people who are in a position like yours where i can't get through the day yeah literally without that chemical but what do you, do you have you ever thought about that or considered it or
1: oh absolutely um it was it was interesting because it was a couple of years ago now uh we went back into cheers, my wife and I, cause I've got no problem going into a liquor store. And like, you know, my wife, yeah, same here. You know, I mean, uh, my, it's, it's hilarious. Cause you know, like my wife will sit there and say, well, you know, cause she's dealt with addiction in her family. And she's like, well, I just never want that to happen to me, you know? And she'll drink like half of her margarita at a restaurant. And, and I'm like, spirit, sure, you're safe. <laughs> I assure you, if you're an alcoholic, you don't leave a margarita. You don't leave half. I was eyeing that guy's beer and her half glass of wine, your margarita. Uh, but we went into Cheers. And the same guy that used to always check me out, I think he's the general manager there now, he saw me, and he just stopped dead in his tracks. And he looks at me. And I, I told him, I, I was like, hey, man, it's, it's good to see you. So I, I actually, I think it was like four years sober at the time. And he goes, man, we just figured you died. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I was like, all right, fair you know, but here's the thing though, Keith is like addicts were great at hiding this too, you know, until, until the end, until like that last six, eight months, you know, the people that were around me then that I hadn't chased off, um, they, they knew for sure. And they had been trying to talk to me, you know, like I, I was losing jobs and losing relationships, like, you know, romantic relationships. Um, but I mean, I was running the the Cheyenne Mountain Resort. I was running the the Mind Exchange Hotel, wearing a suit and tie with a box of wine in my truck. You know, I had a jar of pickles there. You know, swish a, some pickle juice around in your mouth, keep chewing some gum, and then when you work in hospitality again, if you got a little wine on your breath, well, no, it's just up at the bar. we were doing wine tasting, no okay, yeah. deal. You know, yeah. because I was I was never really getting drunk anymore. Mine yeah. was just main maintenance um yeah so i mean i thought about that and and for the group of people that really knew that i thought didn't know it's sort of like when you have that bad girlfriend in like high school you know and, and you're like you know we i finally decided to break up with her and, the, and all your friends were like thank god bro yep. my god it's a bad like, really? time why didn't you tell me and that's yep. how it was like i finally came out to like my friends and was like hey guys you know I've had a drinking problem for a little while and I think it's time to get sober. And they're like, yeah, you think, <laughs> they're like, thank God, you know, but again, it's one of those weird conversations. Um, and I think that's what my whole goal is to make it not weird anymore because yeah. it's not just people in AA. It's not just people that are like brown bagging it in the park that are the addicts. It's, it's the doctors and the lawyers and the pilots and, And your, your brother, your uncle, your aunt, your grandma, you know, they're all having these problems. So the more we can talk about it, then the less we have to hide it.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I feel like we're coming into a part of the culture where it's a lot easier to talk about these kinds of things. It's why I feel called to do this podcast and to share with people about what it means to face your demons, what it means to really take accountability for your stuff. Um, And for such a long time, and in many ways, it's still this way. And in many ways, it's gotten worse. But it's been easy to whitewash or justify or because, you know, I just got to blow off some steam or I got to do this, I got to do that. And I I really want to work towards people having those types of relationships where your friends and mine who knew that I had a problem or who were covering for me with my wife. Like I want to create a space in my relationships where those people come to me and say, Hey dude, that's not okay. Yeah. Like, I mean, I had guys that would, that would, you know, call my wife and say, Hey, he got held up at work or whatever and text her, you know, and, and give her information that was just enough for me to keep the lie. Right. Um. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's important that we, create those types of relationships where people can hold us accountable and say, Hey, you're screwing up here. And that's hard. Like it's hard to see, look at your friends and say, Hey, I don't think that you're presenting yourself in the way that you actually want to present yourself. Yeah. Because when I quit, when I quit drinking, what I found really interesting was I would get off work and then come home. And I was in the restaurant business and and people were used to, you know, you get off work and everybody goes and has a beer to unwind or to blow off some steam or to, you know, talk trash about the customers. Sorry, restaurant workers were throwing you under the bus, but that's what we do. And, you know, it's I would just go home and it was probably two or three weeks into it uh, with me choosing not to drink where, you know, one of my friends called me and he was like, hey, we haven't hung out for a while. What have you been up to? And I said, well, I quit drinking. And he was like, oh, OK. And that was it. <laughs> like, yeah. There was no, let's go catch a movie. Let's go golf. Let's go for a run. Let's just hang out. It was, oh, well, then I guess we won't see you anymore.
1: Well, <laughs> no, like they say, if you want to know who your friends are, get sober.
0: That's it. You know? Yeah.
1: And, and again, there's nothing wrong with that because there's some people where, I'm not saying that like every friend I hung out with was, you know, a raging drunk like me that could like, you know, put down a bottle of Seagram's VO and not bat an eye feel fantastic in the morning, but sometimes it's the lifestyle that goes along with it, you know? And I just, yeah, I mean, I don't have the desire. Like I can go to bars. I've got no problem. You know, like it's fine. But when, when we're the sober people on the sideline and you're watching everyone else kind of get hammered around you, you're like, yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, I find myself not, I, I can go to a bar, I don't feel anything um, really about like my own experience, I'm fine. Right. What I find and why I don't hang out at bars anymore is because I feel like I want to pull everyone aside and have a heart to heart with them
1: Yeah.
0: And and talk to them about what's really going on and <laughs> they're not ready for that, <laughs> right? No, no. So... I don't I just I just don't, and, and you know, I have friends who drink and and we keep beer in our house because we have family that you know wants a beer on barbecued you know when we do the family thing, and I got no problem like and, and no one comes to our house and gets you know smashed and that sort of thing. But it is interesting how we use, and in some cases it's food, and in some cases it's it's entertainment, you know, Netflix, Instagram, Facebook all of those things as a way to numb and escape from the real world. Mm -hmm. And what's really interesting. And I know you've, you've dove in a little bit, but I am absolutely falling in love with clubhouse right now because they are the most real and raw and intelligent conversations. It's like that virtual It's like a dinner party. That they used to have in the 50s, where all, you know, and again, it's centered around alcohol, right? But all the guys would get a cigar and a scotch and they'd go sit down and they'd talk about world politics and world events and, yeah. and they would dissect what was going on. And that's what I'm finding on Clubhouse. And it's because in some ways you're never going to see these people. People are being really honest and raw, but in a kind way, not like Facebook where you can just throw out an answer and bail. It's, it's been an awesome, awesome experience. And I wonder if we're not seeing the dawn of an age where talking about our problems and our issues and our challenges isn't starting to shift into normal, right? It's not being normalized because I want to be a part of that movement.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. And that's, uh, I have, I've have adopted your, uh, your phrase, and I don't probably, you know, I don't name drop you every time I use it, but the, the term radical accountability, I'm just in love with it, man uh, because, because it, it sums it up. That's, people are terrified of that phrase. People, yeah. you know, uh, they're afraid of accountability um, because it's forcing them to look in the mirror. Yeah. You know? Um, you know, it's a lot easier to blame. It's a lot easier to point a finger than it is just to say, what is my role in this? Yeah. How have I affected other people? And how am I reacting to what other people are saying or doing?
0: Yeah. there's and that's a big the
1: part about sobriety is, is, is just figuring out how you're reacting to the world around you.
0: Yeah. I, there's a, a pastor out of Atlanta called Andy Stanley. He runs North Point Church out there. And I listen to his stuff on occasion. And he, over the summer, talked a lot about owning your slice of the conflict pie, which was a phrase that I really fell in love with, because it's exactly that. Like, Not only is my reaction part of that conflict, but my actions that played a role in that. And then I've sort of been shifting that into, as I've been marinating on that for months now, how can I stop reacting? And start responding? How can I have a measured response? How can I take a breath and try to recognize the bits of the conversation or the dynamic that I don't understand, accept and like admit that I don't understand it, because I think that's part of the huge problem we're facing right now, is that people aren't recognizing that they don't understand, and they're just holding fast to that which they think they know. Right. Which isn't really true. Right. Right. And it's not that it's wrong. It's just that they only know a bit. Right. Right. And, and I mean, it's really one of the reasons why I think people's stories like yours are really powerful and really important because, you know, the loss of life that you experienced is enough to drive anyone to drink. You know, we would, we would say that to lose two, To lose a family member, especially your sister, you know, a sibling that you're that close with, in that manner is traumatic. And then to have another family member, and then you know, even though your dad and you didn't seem to be on the best of terms, you it's still your dad.
1: Well, that's that's it's like this. Very few things do I have regret about in my life at this point because I'm, as you know, and you are as well, a massive student of personal development. Because Mm -hmm. you know, this is a crazy garden up here, and if I if I let the weeds start going, they'll overtake the garden real quick. Yep. Um, But yeah, with my father, it was, it's regret. And I try not to have regret, but that's one of those things that I'm just like, man, man, yeah. Yeah. But of course. Yeah.
0: I feel the same way with my stepmother. Uh, My dad is still around and we've had the opportunity to heal and resolve a lot of our issues. And I love him dearly. And I I don't know if you'll see this or not, Um, but we're good, right? Like, I don't yeah. like everything he says. I don't like everything that he does. And I know he doesn't like everything I say or do. But I love him and we're good. I never had the opportunity to resolve the relationship with my stepmom. And and I do regret that. I, I've often said I don't have any regrets. You know, it's all the things that brought me to who I am. And and I think there's some there's some truth in that. And that feels really good. And at the end of the day, if I could go back and do it differently, I think I would. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's part of, I think, getting into that accountable space. Right. So um, tell me a little bit about what it was like after the hospital, because you go, you get to this place where you're on the precipice, you're going to die, you hear this voice that says it's done. And, and, you know, I would say that that's divine intervention. And, and I would say that that's, that's probably a very, you know, life changing experience. But the reality is you go back to your life and you still have this thing between your ears and you still have the same thoughts and you still have the same darkness and you still have to figure out how to deal with it. So what was that like for you?
1: Well, it was, it was very similar to the, the first time I got like really sober. Um, I moved out to Newport beach after I got sober. I lived in Newport beach, California for about six months. And I was going, I was living on the beach. I mean, it was a sober living complex, just a bunch of guys, and a couple giant grills, and we'd have a meeting every day. And then the only requirement is we went to one AA meeting every day. And otherwise, I just rode my beach cruiser up and down Balboa, and I, and I rode out to the beach. I went to AA meetings with, uh, with uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Anthony Hopkins and, uh, and Rob Lowe wow. actually at these meetings. And then I come back to the Springs. <laughs> and I'm riding yeah. my mountain bike down Uenta to go to the Nooners meeting. It's not as sexy. And Rob Lowe... <laughs> Certainly was not at that meeting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's it. so it caught up to me pretty quick. And same same time uh, on this on the second round, but I knew I knew that this time that I I had and I still do. I've got plenty of relapses left in me. I just don't think I've got another recovery. Um, you know, I, I, it's it'd be easy for me to go upstairs right now. There's a bottle of the you know two hundred dollar bottle of tequila sitting right above my stove. If I wanted to, I could I yeah. could go down. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it was divine intervention. Yes. Counseling. Absolutely. I, I yeah. dove in as fast as I could and, and pretty much, uh, I, I asked my mom to stay with me just to keep an eye on me uh, until I started to really get my footing because, you know, after four days and count in, this was a medical detox. I mean, I had DTs for a month Yeah, where like, you know, it, it was a constant reminder. And, um, and I knew that I needed to talk to somebody that realized I wasn't that damn special. Yeah. You know, someone that had seen st- stories that made mine look juvenile. And, uh, there's a guy named Dr. Gary Forrest. He lives, he's here in town and he's called the alcohol guru, uh, two doctorates in, in addiction. And he was the first guy. I remember the first day he like looked at me and he just said, so tell me why you can't pull your head out of your ass. <laughs> and I was like, what? No, I want a hug That's and a high five. That's what all yeah, the other people
0: You want to do. be the victim. You want someone yeah. to tell you that it's okay that you're an asshole. <laughs> it's not. No. It's
1: and not. Uh, and it, was, it was interesting because the recliner he had uh, in his office, old school, big leather with like the metal rivets all the way around. Yeah, yeah. The armrests were so completely torn up and you could just tell us from so many people sitting there just digging their fingers in. Just digging their fingers That's in. hilarious. He's like, and I won't repair
0: it for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. He wants people people to see.
1: Yeah. And be like, (laughs) yeah. yeah. You know, Um, yeah. So so that was that was the first big part was was getting that therapy of somebody making me be accountable.
0: Yeah. So I want to push a little bit because yeah. As you're as you're talking about this, you know, you shared that you had this nice inheritance that came along. And, and you're down in Balboa or yeah. Newport, yeah. you know, and you're hanging out with all the, all the, the guys. Mm. So for someone who's watching this or listening to this, that may come off as a little privileged. Yeah. And well, I don't have the ability to go do that, especially now, cause this was, you know, seven, eight years ago and, yeah. and it's only, things only get more expensive in California. I mean, you can't hardly, you know, yeah. drive through the state without dropping a couple grand. So exactly. I'm curious because I know you work in this space now where you help people in this situation. Right. So what, what would you say to that? Like, you know, I can't, I don't have that kind of money. Like if we were to role play a little bit and I'm, I'm an alcoholic looking to get fixed and you're like, well, you need counseling. Okay. That costs money. I don't have, well, you need rehab. That costs money. I don't have. And I just start going into, you know, victim mentality, man. Like I lost my job. My wife hates me. And you're telling me to go spend all the money I don't have on, on stuff.
1: Right. Well, to uh, just to, to backtrack for a second, by the time I got to Newport um, my ex-wife had cleaned me out. Um, I I blew $250,000 in a year. Um, (laughs) That's fun. Yeah. And then, uh, but one good purchase I didn't make was a house. I bought for in cash. Um, and luckily she couldn't get her hands on that. So by the time I went to Newport, I had about 150 bucks in my account, but, um, but there, there are to go even to the place I went to was by the grace of God, my mom having some money, um, that she was able to put me through up in Denver, which then she helped me out in Newport. So yes, if you don't have the money, I get it because that does come off as a privilege. Oh, you're riding your bike up and down Balboa. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you know, like no, God, I live in Cleveland and it's dark and it's gray and yeah. I'm depressed. Um, yeah, that's where you know now you utilize these resources, you know, uh, because while you're sitting here on this, you know, looking at someone else's, uh, you know, uh, TikTok or or their their Facebook and you're looking at their highlight reel, you could be plugging away and finding groups like this uh, of people that are, are are there saying, hey, look, no, I'm there with you. You know, and that's that accountability piece. Instead of sitting back and saying, I need life to get better, so I'll just go ahead and wait. Yep. You know, it's not going to happen like that. Yeah. I I luckily have the ability to to have made it through, you know, those ugly parts, but I relapsed after Newport. I relapsed. Mm. It didn't fix shit (laughs) because this wasn't fixed. Yep. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I think that's that's
0: why you see guys like Robert Downey Jr., you know, yeah. who are in and out, have all the money in the world, have yeah. all the things, you know, or, or people like Robin Williams who unfortunately take their own life yeah. because they're not able to fix the thing, right?
1: Yeah, right. And that's, yeah, 100%, you know, and uh, until I was able to untangle the knot between my ears with counseling and a guy in an old beat-up leather chair in an office from 1970... Yeah that said, pull your head out of your ass, that things finally woke up for me, you know? And yeah, I could have had a million dollars in the bank account or had no dollars, which was the case when I finally saw him. And that's- I love that you
0: shared that because I think in listening to it, you know, people tend to make excuses. Um, And when they hear someone else's story, because I've shared my story and people are like, yeah, but your wife didn't leave you. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. She didn't. Yeah. And- that doesn't mean that she didn't have divorce papers ready. Yeah, and it doesn't mean that, that things were great between us. What it means is that she stayed just long enough for me to make the choice and for me yeah. to do the work. And I've often shared with people privately, like she's the best thing that's happened to me. And like, I wouldn't be who I am if not for her. And she's yeah. the first one to correct me and say, and she's the first one to, that would wear that badge of honor. Right. But she's right. the first one to correct me and say, no, you did the work i just didn't leave right you know and that's really the big thing that i try to get people to understand is and i love what your counselor said to you which is why can't you because it isn't anyone else's fault it isn't anyone else's problem i was blaming my parents my sisters my jobs my my any anyone and everything under the sun yeah and it was when i realized that i was the problem there was a a sliver of victimhood but then it was very empowering because I was like well if I created this mess and it's a big mess (laughs) then I'm pretty powerful I could probably clean it up
1: well that's that the whole thing is is I am my worst problem and I am my only solution. I'm my only problem I'm my only solution.
0: Yeah yeah Uh, so if you're watching uh, this or you're listening to this and and you're you're in that position you know talk to somebody get some help Take ownership of it. Be brave enough to say, I don't know how to do this. There yeah. is a tremendous amount of power in saying, I have no power over this.
1: Of course. Right? Absolutely. And, and that's, that's, you know, when I talk to people about wanting to get sober, I have to say to them, and this is before I'll even start to help anybody. I'm like, do you want to do this for you? And they're like, no, I need to do it for my wife. I'm like, nah. And that's uh, before we uh, shift gears here, Jim Rohn, who you're very familiar with, obviously. Mm -hmm. Yep. um, Mentor to Tony Robbins. And I mean, a whole litany of of, of amazing uh, thinkers. Yeah. Yeah, If you have pennies, you start with pennies. If you have nothing, you start with nothing. If you've got handicaps, you start with handicaps. If you're ill, you start ill. If you're young, you start young. If you're old, you start old. If you're behind, you start behind. You just don't make any excuses.
0: That's it. Yeah, it's super powerful, and it, it really is, regardless of where you're at, because I was nowhere near the level of dependency you were, and it doesn't make my experience any less hurtful or painful or real, not. and both of us, with these different experiences, came through it with the support of others. Yeah. Yeah. After we made the choice for ourselves and me, for me, selfishly, and I almost feel bad sharing this, you know, when I tell the story, because my wife is usually in the room. I got sober, not for my kids, they were the catalyst for me. I, I got sober for myself because I was going to lose my kids. Yeah. I expected to lose my wife. I didn't have examples of healthy marriages that lasted 25 years. So when I got married, I hoped it would last. But if you said, what's the over under, (laughs) I probably would have given you a number. Right. right. And, and so I feel bad saying that and and that she recognized, you know, she'll hear this, she'll know this, but the fact that she stayed with me hoping, and she said, you know, she saw something in me. She knew I could do it. She just, you know, and, and. I mean she had divorce papers ready. I got I got real lucky that I made the choice, you know, probably at the 98-yard line of of that that experience, but it's it's crazy to me to think about how much people won't accept it. And I understand there's chemical dependency and I understand that there's things happening and that there, there is a process. And we do need to treat alcoholism and, and drug addiction and chemical dependency as an illness because it is. It may not have started that way, right? Like it, I don't think it starts that way. It starts as mental illness. It starts as an inability to address the problems that are going on in our world. And there's there's this tension right now because I see... So many people getting away with things like political, I believe in, in our culture, we're watching people not get held accountable for their actions. And so, whether it's subconsciously or or subtly, our culture is becoming one of, it's not my fault, it's not my job, you know, the the most popular answer to somebody saying, you know, this is inappropriate behavior is, well, he did it. I'm like, what are we, two like that—that that doesn't work with my five-year-old. Why am I going to allow right. it amongst adults? But that's our—that's our our response is, well, the last guy did it, or you know, the guy up the street did it. Yeah. And it's like, well, that—what does that have to do with your inappropriate behavior? Right. Well, and,
1: yeah. I mean, by the way, I got you beat. I got divorce papers in rehab. <laughs> yeah. See. <laughs> <laughs> on on family night, two weeks in, I was down in Pueblo and and she came to visit me and
0: wasn't that sweet
1: yeah but the real oh. kicker for for us guys out here and 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 ladies too if you have a, a car aficionado if, if you you enjoy classical automobiles i got back to the house and my 1971 mgd roadster was missing from the garage mm. that was the, the thing that really pissed me off the divorce not so much but don't take my sports car don't
0: don't take my stuff man yeah. they like our stuff yeah. um this is interesting because I, you know, I've known you for a couple of years and I didn't know that you had been married before. Yeah. Um, but what I do know, and I, I kind of want to talk about this if you're cool with it, because I think it's a really cool story. And I think. It, I just think it's a cool story. There's something in there that struck me and I don't know what it is, yeah. but your last name is Joy. Yeah. And that is not your birth name. No. And it is not a name that you just picked out of a hat and decided I'm going to be joyful.
1: Right. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of funny how we're done. This is my, my third last name.
0: Okay. So tell me more.
1: Yes. Uh, I was born uh, by my birth given last name. And this is where, where you realize your own mortality. My birth given last name is Armit. A-R-M-I-T. One letter away from armpit. The second spell check became available on computers was probably sixth or seventh grade, and uh, and so the fun began. You know, yeah, that was that involved.
0: made that made junior and in, in high school real fun, didn't it? Oh yeah, it was
1: blast. Well, people even elementary school kids knew it was armpit. Hey, armpit. Hey. Um, but that was my father's last name. Now there's a section of Ever, Evergreen Cemetery here in Colorado Springs, which is a huge cemetery. But back over by the founders, where um, the 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 old school folks of Colorado Springs are buried. There's four other gravestones that say John Armit. My great great grandfather, my great grandfather, my grandfather, and my father. And that looked at my twice, and I'm like John Armit. Ain't hey, that some shit? <laughs> I'll be darned. Um, but uh, I was supposed to be John Lee's Armit the fourth. Uh, but my mom wanted me to carry on her maiden name, which is Emerson. Um, so I became John Emerson Armit. Uh, that's what I was born with Emerson as in Ralph Waldo Emerson. Um, some people know, know the poet, some people don't, he is my great, great, great uncle, which is, uh, kind of my, my claim to fame there. Very cool. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so I, I became John Emerson Armit the first, uh, and, uh, when I turned 30 and it was after my father died, I finally realized myself, I said, you know what? I, I, I don't want Armit. The only living Armit at that point was my stepmom, and okay. uh, there's there's not many people I I I will ever not try to pursue a relationship with, but her. That's done. It's over. I can call it what it is. So I decided it's time to separate from that last name. So I took on Emerson, and uh, and so it was just John Emerson for the longest time. And then I met Amanda, my wife, and her name is Amanda Joy. And I met her on Match.com, and I thought to myself, you know, Joy, like that can't be her real last name. Sure enough, <laughs> it was her real last name. And working you've at the, the documents. radio station. you've
0: seen the paperwork, you verified it.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and and working at the radio station, everyone started like teasing me because I just started dating Amanda, and they're like, "You're going to be Johnny Joy," and I'm like, "That's the dumbest name I've ever <laughs> heard. Of. I'm I'm Johnny Emerson, and she'll be Amanda Emerson, and uh, well." As it turns out, <laughs> she made a concession. She said, how about I take on Emerson as my middle name and you take on Joy as my last, as your last name? She said, because I really don't want to give it up. And when we have kids someday, I want them to have parents with the same last name. Yeah. And I thought, well, I'm in media, Johnny Joy. Okay, I'll do it. She's going after her doctorate. She just announced to me um, in the next couple of years. So she will officially be Dr. Joy. Again, love it. Way more badass than me. Way more badass than me. Yes. Um, But the funny thing is, I've always been gone by Johnny from being a bartender on. I was just Johnny. I was Johnny the bartender. Yep. But my birth given last name is John, and now so my driver's license says John E. Joy, (laughs) John Emerson Joy.
0: That's it. You're Johnny Joy, no matter what.
1: Yeah, I'm Johnny Joy. I'm Johnny Joy. So all my new business cards for Mountain Country actually says John E. Joy, and people like I thought your name was Johnny Joy. I'm like. It is. It is. Yeah. I don't know what you're reading, but it's right there. (laughs) Yeah. It was too cool the last name, and it meant a whole lot to Amanda. Emerson didn't mean as much to me. Like last names to me, they're titles and 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 really meant a lot to her. And, And I said, you know what? Let's let's do it.
0: I think that's an amazing story. And I don't like I am often reminded of the gratitude I have that my wife took my last name. Yeah. Like that's a big deal. I don't think it gets enough. I don't think it gets enough sort of uh, praise or admiration that when two people get married, one of those people literally changes their identity. It doesn't define them. Sure. But it is a thing to, you know, and I've got, I've got six daughters and two sons and the idea of, I've got one daughter who's already said when I get married, I'm not taking his last name. Like she loves her name and she's like, I'm not giving it up. And that that makes me proud. And then I see my wife and I'm like, you took my last name. That's a big deal. And so when you, when you shared that story, I thought, man, that's a, that's a pretty vulnerable thing because married couples who aren't the same last name, there's always a little bit of a, well, why not? Like, is she yeah. a celebrity? Is she this? Is he that? Like, why, why aren't they one? Right. And that you were sort of courageous enough. Cause I think there's a little bit of, you know, like you said, it didn't matter much to you, but there's a, there's a persona and there's a perception out there. Right. Yeah. And absolutely. that you took your wife's last name. Yeah. Not just cause it's cool. Like, I mean, it's, you know, and then you've got a podcast now called addicted yeah. to joy which yeah. I, I highly recommend you guys check out. It's amazing and and there's really great stories from all different types of people who've battled addiction and overcome addiction. Um you know, the first season was great. I'm really excited for you. Uh, thank you. I might be a little bit biased cuz I had something to do with the creative artwork involved.
1: Yeah, well and you're going to be a guest in season 2, so you know, I mean there's Some that, point. by we'll, the way.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> we'll figure, we'll figure that out. Yeah. But yeah, um so in addition to the podcast and the radio show, you have a new project that I'm super excited about. And I was hoping you would, uh, I was hoping it would be available to talk about. And then I noticed you promote some stuff the other day. So yeah. talk to me about this new project. Cause I think people who are listening will dig it.
1: Um, that kind of came about as when I was working at the mind exchange, uh, worked with a great AV guy and he, he took care of so many different properties. He made all these really great videos and we kind of lost touch after I, uh, I left there and got sober, and he he called me up um, about two or three months ago. Oh, excuse me, and he uh, he said he'd been following me on Facebook and social media, never once commented on anything, never even liked anything. One of the guys just like kind of peeking through the blinds <laughs> at all times, yeah. Which is more often than not. And he said, you know, I see what you do with inspiring people, and your story about sobriety, and you're so open about this. I want to make a show with you. He's like, here's the network I'm on. I developed it. We have over 100 million views on three different shows. Each show we do gets about like 10 to 12 million views. I'm like, and he showed me the analytics. I was like, wow.
0: Wow, that's great.
1: Okay. He's like, so how can we mix cars and sobriety? I'm like, well, they're easier to operate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just basic. Uh, and, and And so I kind of turned to social media, another useful time that social media kind of really uh, came into play and I, I, I just asked everyone i said what would be a show you'd want to watch uh if it involves sobriety or recovery of something you know and and vehicles and so with just all these little snippets i kind of came up with this idea I, I would be a fool to not call it joyride honestly
0: well i was gonna say i mean you, you take on the name like you gotta leverage it at, at every time uh, right? like, yeah and Dick Dick it, it Joy, just fits. Yeah. yeah
1: um and uh, and yeah what we're gonna be doing is i'm just gonna be Uh, getting a really cool car could be a classic could be like a a new tesla and we're going to pick up somebody that has overcome crazy odds and it could be addiction but it could be i mean think of just the amazing heroes we have here in the military bases in colorado springs it could be the the single mom you know that was living in a shelter and is now the ceo of a company whatever it is and we're just going to drive around in a really cool car and they're going to tell me their story I dig and it. We're gonna go for a joyride, and we're gonna yeah. you know maybe go to their high school and show like where they had their their greatest moments or their hardest moments. Uh, drive by the jail. I don't know. It's gonna be f- mostly unscripted, and yeah. uh, it should be a lot of fun.
0: That's awesome. So, what's the yeah. timeline like on this? Do you know?
1: Uh, looking at a couple months out still probably. We want to make sure that this is done uh, right, and we have a proper yeah. sponsorship um, so that everyone's taken care of. That you know the production company can earn a little bit of coin as well. Yeah, um, you know, if, if I can uh, if I could pay a utility bill by driving around in a car, um, I think that's about the coolest darn thing that could ever happen to me. Um, yeah, but even if I just get to go drive around in a car and just listen to people's amazing stories. Yeah,
0: I, I don't know mean, if it I makes, makes up for. I don't care. Yeah, I don't know if it makes up for losing out on the sports car, but uh, I got that back. It's by the way. good. There it you is. go. See, so there's a happy ending to pretty much. Yeah, the whole she story.
1: she left at the attorney's office with the with the top <laughs> down in the rain, but
0: i love it i love it um it's a hallmark movie (laughs) (laughs) it is it is you mentioned uh social media which i know you're on um quite a bit and you've kind of made a a bit of a name for yourself in sharing very positive stuff really staying out of the noise ignoring sort of the mess going on and even when you dive into it though you have a you have a positive spin on it or you're asking real genuine questions that are meant to seek understanding as opposed to like you know shame or belittle anyone else's opinion right you know I talked about this on another episode where I personally I understand why people don't like Facebook mm-hmm. and I understand why people don't like you know social media and it always circles back to me for like that's because you're choosing to use it poorly like yeah. I I mean right now this is this is probably my third or fourth interview that i've done and of them only one of them was a person that i hadn't met through a social media platform or connected you and i met in person but we connected through social media we got to know each other we liked each other's stuff we we enough so that we were like hey let's go grab coffee like i want to know you more as a person, and it's, I believe it is because I choose to use it as a tool to grow and learn, right? I could use it as a distraction. And it's funny to me because I hear people talk about how much they hate Facebook and I get censorship and algorithms and, you know, manipulating things to their own advantage. But the reality is it's a business, it's a company and companies are in the business to make money for shareholders. So if, when we start to lose sight of that and we start to think that like, we're special (laughs) and we're not just a product that, that, um, it really can be a powerful tool to affect change, or at the very least, to let help yourself grow. Yeah. And I know that's sort of the 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 way that I see your social media usage. I'm wondering if that's intentional, and I mean, I think it is, but I, you know, I'd love to hear your take on it.
1: Yeah, uh, if you go back and look at my, you know, the remember this day, and it's like you know, 2009, 10, 11. I'm just like, ew, <laughs> ew. Same,
0: a hundred percent.
1: Yeah. Um, but yeah, when you open up my Facebook, like, you know, I'd hand anyone my phone at any given time because same thing when people say, I hate Facebook, it sucks. I'm like, what are you following? What are you reading? What kind of seeds are you planting? Because the first yeah. like four or five things I have on the show first, you know, are goal cast, um, you know, bright yeah. vibes, tiny Buddha, um, Jim Rohn, Tony Robbins, so before I even start my scroll and hear people, you know, whining about how their, their mocha foca chapawaka from <laughs> Starbucks was, uh, was undersweetened and how it ruined their whole day. Yeah. I've already planted seeds of, of, of stories of courageousness and, and, and thought leaders and, and that kind yeah. of thing, you know, again, it's like, if you are shocked that you got trash juice in your mouth while rooting around in a dumpster, well, the problem here is you're in the dumpster. <laughs> you're right. in the dumpster. I mean, I wrote, you know, if, you, if you're, if you can't stand certain people on Facebook, don't follow them. You don't, don't have to friend them, them. Yeah. But, it, it, but you're calling it to yourself. Yeah. And I did that for a long time. And I find myself every once in a while getting down into the muck, you know, and, and, and getting ready to throw blows verbally. And I'm like, but that's where the personal development side comes in and say, well, is this a hill worth dying on? What yeah. am I about to do? Because yeah. zero problems have ever been actually solved on Facebook. Yeah, I've never yeah. once been like, you know, you did change my mind politically. Yeah, Thank you. I'm glad you hit caps lock.
0: Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, thank, thank you for that. And the 14 exclamation points were better than just six. Right. That, yeah. that was helpful. That was so yeah. helpful. Now, you know, in, in my experience, I have had my opinion, maybe not changed, but it's been altered or or shifted a little bit through well, the conversations the people, I've
1: had. With the people you follow, though. Yeah, and, I mean, I've started to follow some of the people you follow, and that's where you have good conversations.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm very open in my social media that, like, you can say whatever you want, don't yeah. make it personal, and I'm not backing down. And it's that, yeah. and I'm never, and I've, I've, I've said this before. My, my goal and my intent when I engage with someone is not to change their mind; it's to understand their position. Mm-hmm. And I will ask questions, and I hope that we get to this place in this podcast. Is you know, I'm, I'm learning how to do this thing where we can have conversations where we're not going to agree and we're not going to necessarily you know see eye to eye on things but at the same time like i ask a ton of questions because i'm a learner my like if you're familiar with gallup strengths learner is my fifth strength which is my anchor strength which means everything i do is is kind of pushed through a filter of learning and so i'm always trying to seek to understand and sometimes that comes off as arrogance or Like me asking you a question may seem like I'm challenging you. And it's not that I'm challenging you. It's that I'm asking you to help me understand where you're coming from. And what I find where people get defensive and angry and start to make it personal is when they can't answer a question about what they believe because they don't really believe it. They're just parroting what someone else has told them. And they've chosen that that's my team. That's my side. That's my group. And so right. that's the company line that I'm going to tow. And when you say, well, tell me more, they switch to leave me alone. You're a bully. Yeah. No, I'm just asking you to help me understand why you believe what you say you believe. Right. And it's the conversations like that where I had, a, I had a mentor of mine talk to me about and teach me how to put everything on trial for its life. Right. Like we have all these ideas that are thrown at us thrown at us. Tony Robbins, Brendan Burchard, Jim Rohn, like we talked about. These guys are throwing ideas at us. And I don't think just because it comes from Tony Robbins, it's gospel. Yeah. That's something yeah. that I want to take, I want to play with, I want to use, and I want to go, that works, or that doesn't work for me. And maybe it'll work for me in another season. Right. Maybe I'm just not ready for it. But I think most people just go, well, Tony Robbins said. And or Jesus Christ said, and it's like, wait a minute, <laughs> let's mm. let's peel that back and let's test it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's an interesting concept to say, well, this thing that's an inanimate object that's under my control is ruining my life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. I'm not sure how that works.
1: Well, that's the whole thing is like, you know, it's uh it's pretty interesting. The the one community so far in the entire US now that has been shown this came out yesterday that has achieved herd immunity from COVID. It's okay. a small Amish community up in Pennsylvania. Because mm. they they weren't on these. They weren't on this, obviously. Yep. They didn't have network news on. Some people got sick. Yeah. You kept their churches open. COVID ran through the entire community. A few people died. Most lived. They have herd immunity and they were never scared. There you go. Yeah. And, you know, and that's the thing is like people like, but I'm so scared then turn off the TV. Yeah. It's, you know, how many times are you going to keep touching the stove expecting for a different result? You, the news isn't here to educate us anymore, there, there it's are not... no more, you know, there, there's no more Walter Cronkite's out there. I, even in my profession of, of radio, you know, it's it's used to there. We have we have hook lines that we use all the time. At Mountain country, we don't have a corporate entity that overlooks us, which is very great. Yeah. So privately owned, at, yeah. But like, we're gonna be like, wait till you hear what somebody found in the bottom of this sewer coming up yeah. in ten minutes.
0: Yeah, it's you amazing know, it's, to me because the we think of. I had this conversation with a friend of mine the other day. We are. Allow it we allow ourselves to become manipulated by whatever we take in, oh yeah, and that can be news, it can be music, it can be food, right, and it's like everything that we ingest is going to have an impact on us, whether we like it or not, and so for me personally, like I've not watched network or cable news for over five years yeah. and and a lot of times I get my information from social media and I'll hear somebody post something, see, or, you know, somebody post something or it's a trending topic. And so rather than me going, Hey, Billy, tell me what happened. I go to the internet and I'll read three or four different news sources. And I just read the facts and I take out, I had someone the other day tell me, well, I only read the headlines. And I was like, well, <laughs> that's, that's the problem because the headline is meant to grab your attention. Yeah. And the headline is often not, I mean, not only is it not the whole picture, it's often inaccurate yeah. intentionally because it's got to be sexier, you know, sex yeah. cells, blood cells, you know, so it's, it's funny to me when people go, well, I only read the headlines or only saw, you know, and I think it's okay. Like, it's totally okay to go, you know what? I don't know enough about that. I only, yeah, I saw the headline, but I didn't read anything. So I don't know. Yeah. Versus saying, well, the headline said.
1: Yeah, well, even this morning we're looking about stuff to talk about. Nothing groundbreaking. People are, are done with COVID. They don't want to hear about it. So uh I'm scrolling and this article cut pops up and it says, NASA just declares the Earth is asteroid safe for the next one hundred years. And I'm thinking, that's great. That's cool. Terrific. From then when you read the article, <laughs> it's safe. From one asteroid they were looking at that will pass by twice more in the next hundred years. Right. So they believe from that one we'll be safe. We're good. The other ones,
0: Hell all the other that we don't have any idea how many there are because we Yeah,
1: there might be an Earth Ender out there. But yeah, so but sure enough, their their little ploy worked because they got all their ads on the side of the screen. Once I, I click that little link, and I'm sure I'll see it in my Google oh. feed just for talking about it now.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean that's the thing it's it's pretty fascinating to me what we allow ourselves to experience and then we blame for our experiences yeah and it's like well, <laughs> you're i mean it's i wrote a book literally about you are the result of your choices and right. if you're unhappy
1: make better choices make
0: make, make different choices
1: yeah like well, that's what i do whenever i have the the opportunity to help somebody i, I mean the very first thing i do and it's not this isn't groundbreaking. It's it's sort of like Simon Sinek, and he talks about it. he's like, I am embarrassed that I have a job because there should be no need for my services. Right. You know, but like I tell people when you know someone's like, I'm drinking a pint of vodka a day, blah, blah, blah. There's a gal I'm helping right now. She's in her mid-50s, and now she's down to a quarter of a pint a day after a week, um, when she was drinking three pints a day and she's doing it on her own, which is pretty unfounded. But she was yeah. serious, she wanted to quit. And it all started off with me saying, take a piece of paper. Divide it down the middle. On the upper left, write benefits I get from drinking. On the upper right, write negatives I get from drinking, and then fill it out honestly. Yeah. And there's usually like four or five, typically, you know, for the benefits, like helps me relax, takes away the pain, helps me sleep, makes me a better dancer, and I'm better at pool. And then the negatives. Yep. And I'm like, you have to write it down because then when they write it down, they're just like,
0: huh. Yeah. And do you even like pool? Like, it makes you better yeah. at pool, but do you even like it? No. Like, that was my thing. Like, I found I could do certain things when I was drunk oh, yeah. that I've never done since I got sober. Oh, no, yeah. Because I didn't like them to begin with. I did them because no. other people were there, and the only need- reason I needed to be better was to impress those people. Right. It's like I really enjoy them. Yeah, like it's dancing. amazing, man. I Listen, I think that's a really great place to wrap up. Um, I do want to ask you one question, yeah. which is, what's the best $100 you've spent in the last... 12 months
1: youtube red
0: youtube red
1: yeah that's where it can run without your screen being on ah. and there's no commercials and it's 15 dollars a month all right because i can just hit motivation inspiration and it will ah. just go and it will go and and so i don't have the tv on
0: Okay, I work in radio all morning.
1: I don't need to hear any more George Strait, and I don't feel like listening to today's music. I want to listen to people that have a lot to say. Yep, yeah, and so yeah. If there's a hundred bucks, yeah. Besides a really good dinner with my wife, we we went to a we went on a date night uh, over the weekend. Yeah, you guys love Pop. pizza. You yeah. guys are
0: pizza aficionados. Yes,
1: yeah, so I, I gained that from her. And it's a it's a place downtown, local business that just opened up. And right. I think for a pizza and drinks for her and dessert and the whole thing, and then just three hours of just her and I together, I think the tab was after tip about 98 bucks. So that Fantastic. would be, yeah.
0: I like that answer better than YouTube Red. All right. But it's your money, man. You do what you got to do. <laughs> See, yeah, It's funny because you you say this and I'm thinking to myself, man, I really dislike YouTube and I'm replaying the last 10 minutes in my own head going well what are you watching on youtube because then you talked about how you're watching these things and i was like yeah see youtube is not the enemy it's it's really because i have a six-year-old amongst my army of children and (laughs) what she watches (laughs) is not what i want to hear so i'm trying to figure out and maybe you know this or not because you've obviously done the dance with youtube if there's a way for me to block specific YouTube channels and just let them listen to the stuff I want, which is not how I want to parent, but you know what I'm saying? Like there's times where I'm like, guys, no, just turn it. I can't take it anymore.
1: Yeah. Um, You can set up individual accounts for them. And then just for you. Yeah. Yeah. Because every once in a while, like, don't get me wrong because there are those times where, you know, Candy is just like losing her mind. And I'm like, you know, I need to do your hair because we gotta get out the door. And so if if 30 seconds of little baby bums singing wheels on the bus is gonna get you just to sit still for a second, I'll do it.
0: Nailed it. it. Nailed it.
1: But occasionally I'll go from like Jim Rohn is saying something he's hitting me like this, and Tony Robbins and all six foot seven of him is is blowing my mind. And then suddenly it's wheels on the bus. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's sneaking. it's yeah
0: sneaks it sneaks in i get right. you i get you well, i love yeah. it man i appreciate you so much do you have any parting words any last thoughts anything you want to share with anyone before we wrap this thing up
1: um just the uh a quote from my good buddy tom chenault and uh he says uh, he's celebrated 28 years of sobriety i think recently um he says all i got from my sobriety was everything
0: i love it yeah it's amazing yeah.
1: And I appreciate you, man. You know that you, your wife, your kids, your family, and thank you for making me um, a part of your uh, a, a part of your tribe. I I, uh, I appreciate you very, very much.
0: The feeling is mutual. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool.